0: well good morning it's great to uh, be with you again and i am thrilled that uh, today is our last sunday um, online only and next week we're excited about the opportunity to be back together again right here in the auditorium in this building and uh, gathering together and i trust as we have that opportunity to renew That fellowship that God makes possible, and to worship uh, our God together in song. It's going to be a great Sunday, so be sure to plan to be here, do all the reservations you need to make, and and we're going to be looking forward to being gathered together again. Hey, as she just prayed for the Rinaldi's We've been in touch with Lynn regularly throughout this week, and uh, these are difficult days. Joe is not doing well, and they uh, asked that we would just pray for God's clear direction, even as they may need to be. Lynn and her son Joseph may need to make some decisions this week. Uh, We don't know that, but uh, she's asked that we pray for real clarity, in uh, an understanding of what God would have in this very, very difficult time. Have you ever wondered if some sins are as bad as others? You, You know what I'm talking about? I mean, let me say it another way. Have you tried to categorize sin where you list first the sins that are not so bad, right? And then you lay out the sins that are the worst, and uh, that's kind of what's going on, not the ranking or the, the thinking about uh, categorizing sin, but there's a lot of sin issues going on in the church at Corinth. And we're going to jump in uh, to the first issue, the first problem that Paul tries to deal with. But, but as we think about that, while I'm talking about sin, I, I want to just say to parents, um, There is what some might call uh, adult content in the book of 1 Corinthians. It's not adult content, it's life. And it is is the reality of the sin issues that the church in Corinth was having to deal with, that Paul was having to teach them about. And uh, in light of that... You may be with your children as even today as you're watching or as they have opportunity down the road, they get back into their regular classes, but topics come up, questions come up. They may hear uh, words or phrases or topics that they've never heard before. And let me encourage you to not be afraid of that. Let me encourage you, mom and dad, to take the opportunity to answer those questions. When your kids hear uh, about topics, when they hear words, when they read scripture or hear scripture read, because that's what we're talking about here, things that they may not understand, things that you may not rather talk to them about now, but down the road and yet God has brought it to their mind, I would encourage you to take the time to answer their question, to have those conversations. What a great place to do it right together in your home, rather than having your kids hear about those things, first off, in the school or on the bus or in the in the locker room or wherever that may be. So I would encourage you as you uh, think through this, as you listen, and you can read ahead. And we're talking each week about the next section of Scripture we're going to be looking at and and speaking on, but you can look ahead, but, but know this, that sometimes uh, we talk about some of those other issues uh, just by way of referring to them, mention them, so I would encourage you to, to use this opportunity, don't run away from it, don't put it off, don't say, oh, they're not ready, no, if they're hearing it now, and we know that's happening at a whole lot younger than it used to, take the time to teach and have those conversations, so back to the issue of sin the ranking of sins so if you've ever tried to do that if you ever thought about it that way at the top of the list you probably had the worst sins uh, that you knew of or that you in your mind categorizes those really being the bad things the real visible ones the obvious ones Uh, The out in the open sins, the sexual sins, the immorality, the alcohol and drugs, uh, uh, the murder. You know, the kind of stuff that you might go to prison for. And then we move on down and we talk about those things that are the lesser sins. And as we work through. 1 uh, Corinthians, it may be that you kind of have already looked ahead and hopefully have read through at least once. I took some time yesterday afternoon to just sit in one sitting and read through the entire book of 1 Corinthians. It took me less than an hour, and I'm not a fast reader, uh, just to, again, get the feel of how it all flows together. And it's unbelievable all of what is there for us to learn and to dig into and to study. And as Paul begins... To uh, deal with the issues, the problems, the sin that exists in the church at First or, or the church at Corinth, um, he's going to start today as we're going to look at the sin of division, division within the church, and uh, it would be easy for us to think as we start that that in that ranking of sin that, well, maybe Paul's going to start at the bottom of the list. He's going to start with the lesser sins, with, with those that are not as bad as the other ones, and he'll get us started and get moving. Uh, we'll go get the easier ones out of the way first, and, and yet I want to suggest to you that that's not the way Paul is dealing with the issues in 1 Corinthians. In fact, disagreement Division, quarreling, as we're going to look at that in just a minute, are probably some of the worst. I would say to you that they're every bit as serious as any sin listed in Paul's letter to the church at Corinth. And so keep that in mind as we study through this issue of divisions over the next number of weeks. Because Paul takes the first four chapters to deal with it. We're still in chapter 1. He spends four chapters talking about the problem, the sin of divisions within the church. And so as we get going on that, I'd like you to open your Bibles with me, if you would, this morning to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and we're going to read through together. Uh, You follow along with me as I read. Uh, You're welcome, hey, in your own home there to read out loud, if you'd like, with your family or whoever you may be with this morning but follow along with me, please, as I read 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 10 to 17. Here we go. I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly united in mind and thought, my brothers and sisters, some from Chloe's household have informed me that there are quarrels among you. What I mean is this. One of you says, I follow Paul. Another, I follow Apos- Apollos. Another, I follow Cephas. That's Peter. Still another, I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I did not baptize any of you except Crispus and Gaius. So no one can say that you were baptized in my name. Yes I also baptized the house of Stephanas. Beyond that I don't remember if I baptized anyone else. Verse 17. Here's the close. For Christ did not send me to baptize but to preach the gospel. Not with wisdom and eloquence, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. Let me pray as we start this morning. God, open our hearts and our minds as we open your word this morning. As we look at Paul's letter to the church at Corinth, God, give us understanding. Give us insight. Give us discernment as we work through this topic as we begin the problem of divisions in the church God help us to understand all of what you are saying to us today and put it to use to apply that truth oh God I pray for the work of your spirit in our hearts teach us God what you have for us and cause us to respond as needed ...in our lives. For it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. Amen. Well, listen, we're going to make a real simple outline today. We've got three points for you that will just help you to organize uh, the text as we look at these verses. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 10 to 17. And, and the first point is this, God's appeal. God's appeal right there in verse 10. Paul says this, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters... In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, I appeal to you. Paul doesn't just come out like, as my mom used to say, a bull in a china shop, just, you know, ripping up everything in his way. But he he's sharing. He's, he's sharing his heart with them in a way that he says, I've got a serious concern. I'm I I urge you, I'm coming alongside of you. That's really the word there uh, as brothers and sisters in Christ. In the name and in the authority and in the power. That's what he means by in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's claiming the authority and power of God as he share this. And he's talking to them as a family. Hey, we're in this together, brothers and sisters. We're a family we, we need to stand together because we are a family. We are one. And he says in the authority and in the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the tenth time in the first ten verses that Paul uses the name the Lord Jesus Christ or, or parts of that. In, in the first couple of verses he call, calls Christ Jesus Or the Lord Jesus, the Lord Jesus Christ or just Christ. But he wants the church there to to hear, to understand, to know that this isn't just about Paul's own agenda. His own thoughts and opinions. He is talking to them in the authority and the power and the oneness of the Lord Jesus Christ the Messiah. Christ is the word for Messiah, that He is the Savior, Deliverer for all of God's people, and He wants them to hear that, and so as He shares that, He's exhorting them to respond as a family, to respond out of a love and a respect for the Lord Jesus Christ as He urges them, and and He wants to lay out there that, that family motivation that would call them to simply obey and to listen. And he says back in verse 9, if you remember from last week, he says, God is faithful who has called you into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. So he goes from that fellowship into those family terms, brothers and sisters, I want you to hear me. I'm making an appeal. And I, and I, I call it God's appeal. You say, but Paul's the one writing the letter. Yeah, Paul's writing the letter under the direction of the Spirit of God. But I, I, I came to think about as I was giving it some thought. Second Corinthians chapter five and verse twenty. And you can write it down, or turn to it right now, or just listen as I read it for you. Second Corinthians five twenty. Paul's talking about his heart for lost people and what our hearts as believers ought to be for lost people. But he says this, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors, listen to this, as though God were making his appeal through us. Whose appeal is it? God, as though God was making his appeal through us. He says, we implore you on Christ's happy reconciled. He's talking to the believers to give the message of the gospel. But there it is. It's God's appeal coming through Paul. And that's exactly what's happening here in chapter one and verse 10. Paul doesn't just come out and command or demand. That they respond to him. He is urging them. He is appealing. He is coming alongside them as a family and saying, listen to me and respond accordingly. Well, we get to the second point in the outline. We have God's appeal and we have the Corinthians problem. The Corinthians problem. Let's continue on there in verse 10. And this is, Paul says that in verse 10. He already says, And uh, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, here it is, that all of you agree with one another in what you say. All of you agree with one another in what you say. And that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. Paul really lays it out right here. The issue, the problem of divisions that he's talking about, it's real simple. He identifies it. That they might say the same thing. That's what it is. Look at the verse. That all of you agree with one another in what you say. That that agreement would result that they say the same thing. That's what Paul's challenging. And he goes on and he says, That there be no divisions. That you be perfectly united. That you say the same thing. Divisions. That's a word for factions, for dissension, for schism. It's not a good thing. And uh, it's completely contrary to what God designed Our lives as brothers and sisters in Christ as we make up the church, we are to be one. And the idea of divisions is completely contrary, completely opposed to what God designed the church to be. And then he says, no divisions, but that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. That word means to be complete. It means to be perfectly joined together it's a word that means mending nets. You could go back in the Gospels and that word would be there when, when the Peter and James and John and, and their fishing business, when they were mending their nets. That's the word that's used here. It's also a word that's used for setting broken bones. Fortunately, I've never experienced a, a broken bone as a kid like an arm and, and all that kind of a thing but but if if I had the word would be as that bone is set as it's put back together it's perfectly joined together the word also means to restore and Paul is using that word he says you are you need to be perfectly united perfectly joined together in mind and thought in your attitude your, your beliefs, your feelings, your values, and how you look at things, which again is going to show in the way you talk, the words you speak. And judgments or, or thoughts, that's the idea of opinions. And then we make judgments based on what we believe, our opinion about the things, and we, we talk about those things. And Paul says... We need to be perfectly united, joined together, no division. You need to agree with one another. Say the same thing. Because that's not happening. You jump down to verses 11 and 12. And Paul again, as he continues on, My brothers and sisters, some from Chloe's household, have informed me that there are quarrels among you. You see, God's people, he, Paul isn't just saying, yeah, you, you're, you're not talking out, you don't agree, uh, you're, there's divisions, you're not perfectly united, though you need to be, but you're also quarreling. And he goes on, and, and, and the idea of quarreling is the word strife. It's bitter conflict. It's heated rivalries. That was going on in the secular culture in Corinth. The teacher's that that were there going sharing their various philosophies of life and the things they believe they would all get followings and people would have heated rivalries much like our political system today at election time heated discussion that's the word quarrels and it certainly wasn't a focus on God's mission on the oneness that we experience because of the fellowship that we have with Christ and with one another exact opposite and and that division was a distraction it kept the church it kept God's people from focusing on what God had given them to do we'll see more about that as we move on and Paul says here's what I mean I'm on one of you says, I'm on Paul's side. I'm for Apollo's. Uh, Peter is my man. I, I'm in the I'm in the Jesus Christ group, the Messiah group. And, and there were at least four different groups, he says, as people are crying out, and 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 they're following different leaders. There's groups following Paul and following Apollos and following Peter. And Paul started the church. We saw that in Acts chapter 18. And after Paul left Corinth to go to Ephesus, Apollos came from Ephesus. And he'd been discipled in Ephesus by Priscilla and Aquila. And he came to Corinth and became a teacher. And an encourager. I think he became a discipler there in the church at Corinth. And of course, Peter, well, his reputation as a... As the teacher, as the man in the church at Jerusalem. Peter being the one who preached the day the church began. And 3,000 people got saved. And, And so there were those who knew of his reputation from the Jerusalem church. And then, of course, there were the super saints. Those who were really very spiritual, or so they thought, who claimed to be following Christ. Now... There is a difference of opinion, but I would say most of those who, who, who dig into this and who talk about this would believe that that group were, were not godly people. They weren't genuinely uh, following Christ and lifting the Him up. They were doing it in a way that was proud and arrogant. I mean, why would Paul downplay that? Why would Paul mention a group of people who really are following Jesus as a divisive thing? That's why I don't believe it is. I think it has to do with those super spiritual people who wanted everybody else to know, well, we follow Jesus Christ. And I don't think that's really what the idea was. Interestingly enough, in all of the study of the early church and the documents and the history... There's no evidence of any theological differences or disagreements between Paul or Apollos or Peter. What we're dealing with is the individual believers, the followers of Christ, those who were there as part of the church, who were divided. And folks, those were interpersonal problems. They had heated rivalries and conflict as struggling in their interpersonal relationships within the church. I mean, we'll see more about that when we get to Acts chapter 11 and start looking at the abuse of the Lord's Supper. The church was still divided, even then, in chapter 10. And so, here we are as we're looking at this, and in the context that follows, that's laid out for us in the rest of the verses we'll look at today, but then even up into chapter 4, It would seem that Paul is saying that the divisions within the church at Corinth uh, were based on how the Corinthians were feeling about the speaking abilities, about the rhetorical expertise, if you will, of their teachers and leaders. Now, I want to come back to that, but that's the way Paul seems to be describing the problem is he lays it out for us. And, and like we'll come back to that. But that's that's the, the problem there, the Corinthians problem. And then thirdly, Paul's solution. Paul's solution. We've got God's appeal, the Corinthians problem, and here, Paul's solution. Beginning in verse 13, Paul uses three rhetorical questions that he asks those in the church that are, that are hearing this, that are reading this letter, or hearing it read to them, to make the point, here's Paul's point, that it is not about following individual teachers or leaders. They can't make you holy. Paul, as, as godly a guy as he was, Apollos as polished an orator and speaker as he was. Peter, the the preacher that began the church in Jerusalem, as godly a man as they are, they cannot make anyone holy. It's not about following the leaders. It's about following Jesus Christ. We must follow Christ and and here's what Paul's here's Paul's point look at the questions the first one he he asked as a rhetorical question is Christ divided right is Christ divided is 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 is, is, is he all split up is 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 are there bits and pieces of him that are being represented all no 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 not at all there's only one the Messiah he's not divided There should be no human leader that should ever be given a following that only belongs to Jesus Christ. He is not divided. He doesn't have splintered groups or opinions following. That's not the way it's intended. And then Paul goes, was Paul crucified for you? Of course not. Paul didn't die for anybody. Paul couldn't save anybody even if he could die for them. You see, it is not Paul that was crucified. It doesn't matter if he was, because it is only Jesus crucified on the cross that can make the difference. Question number three. He says, were you baptized in the name of Paul? In Paul's name? No, of course not. The great commission that had been given to the, the 12, actually the 11 disciples, after Jesus had resurrected from the dead, he told them to go make disciples, baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And that's what the early church was doing. They weren't baptizing anybody in the name of Paul. Followers of Jesus were baptized in the name of the triune God. And we must follow Christ now Paul asked those questions with the obvious answers being of course not we need to follow Christ now let me remind you again of of what we've been looking at is the theme for our study together and and Paul says this is this is our theme God's holy people must become what they are or what they already are God's holy people must become what they already are. Remember, we said they'd been declared to be holy. Now, Paul's challenge was back there in verse 2 now live it. Live holy lives. You've been declared holy. That's your position as a child of God. Now, live it. That's your growth as a believer progressively become more holy, more like Jesus. Be who you are. Saints must live like saints. And right here, they need to live as one together as they follow Jesus and as they fellowship with one another as members of the body. Paul continues on. He goes to verse 14, 15, 16. I thank God that I did not baptize any of you except Crispus and, Gai- and Gaius, so no one can say that you were baptized in my name. Yes, I also baptized the household of Stephanas. Beyond that, I don't remember if I baptized anyone else. He's saying I'm, I'm glad that I didn't baptize anymore so that there wouldn't be any more reason for people to want to follow me more than somebody else because it's not about that. Baptism is what matters, not who is doing the baptizing. Paul is glad that he didn't do any more, that he didn't do anything that would develop more of a following for him. He's not preaching against baptizing. Some have looked at this text and said, Oh, Paul, see, baptism is not that big a deal because Paul Paul, said, I'm glad I didn't baptize more people, but that's not what he means. He's not saying that it's unimportant. It's absolutely important itself, not who does the baptizing. That's the issue at hand. And then we get to the issue, the problem, or the solution. Excuse me. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 17. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. That's the solution. Preach the gospel. That is what Paul is saying we need to focus on. Preach the gospel. Jesus died in our place for our sins. The gospel, the cross of Christ. He died on the cross. It was us who should have been there. It was our sin. That, that he took the punishment for. He died for. We should have been on the cross. He took our place. He died in our place. For our sins. That's the gospel. But he didn't stay dead. Because as we'll see later in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Jesus rose again. The resurrection. Proving he Was who he said he would be. Our savior. Our redeemer. The only one who could forgive our sins. Because he died in our place for our sins. And that's, that's preaching the gospel. Paul says that's what matters. And he says uh, it's not preaching the gospel. Not with wisdom and eloquence not with wisdom and eloquence. What what do we mean by that? Well, those were terms that were used in the first century Greek and Roman culture and literature to describe rhetoric, Uh, the ability to debate and to argue and to uh, uh, study together and come up with defending their positions. Paul says, that's not my intent. I am not going to be a great orator. Rhetoric is the study and the practice of the most effective means of persuasion in public speaking or oratory. You've ever heard somebody called a, a great orator? That's what we mean. Uh, uh, that, that their skills of persuasion and argument ability were were phenomenal that's the wisdom and eloquence paul says i'm not going to preach that way that's not what it's about it's not about how smooth and convincing and persuasive i can be it's not about telling great stories and 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 being able to 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 make you weep and cry and, and, oh, wow, that's amazing. What a great speaker. Because typically when that happens, all we think about is the speaker rather than what the speaker said, the message. And in this case, Paul says it's preaching the gospel. It's the message of the cross. And we're going to look more at the message of the cross next week. But it's the cross of Christ. And Paul says, I'm going to preach the gospel not with wisdom and eloquence, lest the cross be emptied of its power. You see, that's what happens when we try to, to get smooth and persuasive and, and, and work on our oratory skills as opposed to simply preaching the gospel, simply preaching preaching the message of the cross. The cross of Christ doesn't need any help. It doesn't need the wisdom and eloquence because that will only empty the cross of its power. So what do you need to do with what you've heard this morning? What do you need to do Again, my mind was drawn as we think about this unity, about this business of being one to to the Lord's Prayer. Not our Father who art in heaven and found in the Gospels, but in John chapter 17, the night before Jesus was crucified, as Jesus prayed to his Father, and as he said in John chapter 17, Verses 20 and 21. He says, My prayer, and he's talking to God the Father. My prayer is not for them alone, not for those who have believed. All right? I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. You know who Jesus is praying for that night? Us. For those who will believe. The night before Jesus went to the cross, he was praying for those multitudes, millions, who down the road, years later, centuries later, would trust Christ. He's praying for us. He's praying for those who already believed, but he's praying as well for those who would believe. And here's what he's praying, verse 21, that all of them may be one. That they agree together with what they say, that there be no divisions, but that they'd be perfectly united, that they're one in the Lord Jesus Christ, and that we're one together because of Christ's work on the cross, that we have the relationship, the one another kind of fellowship. That comes only through Jesus Christ. He says, I pray that all believers will be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. He's saying, just as we are one, Father. Why? Why is that such a big deal? Verse 21, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me so that the world may believe that you father have sent me Jesus your son to this earth to die on the cross in the place of sinners so we can be forgiven and declared to be holy you see this all ties together it all ties together So that we be one. So what do we need to do? What's the so what? We need to be one. And we need to be one focused on the gospel. Focused on the message of the cross. That's it. The reason for unity. Being one. God sent his son. That's what Jesus prayed This is the heart of Jesus. His heart for the world that the world may believe that God sent Jesus. How will they they know that? As they hear the message of the cross from us. And as they see the oneness that we who know Jesus exercise together in Christ. Our agreement, our unity must be built on the gospel. The message of the cross, the cross of Christ alone, not an eloquent speech or message. It doesn't mean, this doesn't mean that I as your pastor or anybody else who who preaches the word, teaches the word, shouldn't work hard at it to know the text and to do the best he can in presenting, but it's not with wisdom and eloquence. It's the power of the cross of Christ alone that makes the difference. It is the cross that will lead to oneness in Christ and with one another. It is the cross that will bring unity to God's people that we call the church today. Divisions only create distractions. Get us sidetracked. I was talking with a pastor this week who is just struggling praying through what to do because their people were struggling with some didn't want to wear masks. Others should, thought they should wear masks all the time. And it was creating problems, divisions within the church. Wouldn't surprise me if that comes down to the vaccination as well. All kinds of things going on in our culture today that we as believers can get divided over. And guess what? Those are distractions because it keeps us from focusing on the message of the cross of Christ alone. That's why Paul said the answer to all this is that I will preach the gospel. I will proclaim, I will herald the message of the cross. Because divisions, quarreling, interpersonal problems and relationships only get us sidetracked disagreements keep us from doing what God's called us to do on the face of this earth you've all heard the phrase as we wrapped this up this morning I'm sure let's agree to disagree and we, we hear that and the idea is sometimes well that'll That'll help people maybe get closer in their disagreement. So let's just agree to disagree. And yet there's still disagreement that exists. I was thinking about this week and it may work sometimes. But how about simply let's agree to agree. Rather than saying let's agree to disagree. Let's take on these subjects here. The message of the gospel. Preaching the gospel. Proclaiming. That God sent his son so that the world would believe they need Jesus. Let's agree that we need to proclaim that message. That we need to preach the gospel, the message of the cross. Let's agree to agree. Let's agree to be one. Let's agree to focus on the mission that God has given us in Matthew 28. To go make disciples of all nations. Let's agree to agree that that's why we're here. That all these other things that we can argue about and quarrel about and divide about are simply distractions that keep us from sharing the gospel, the message of the cross of Jesus Christ. Shared with you last week, quote from David Whiting. And David said this, the proof that God's grace has moved in my life is that there is movement in my life. My question for you as we wrap it up this morning is, how are you growing in grace? What movement? What godly change? Are you progressively becoming more holy? You've been declared holy. Are you becoming more holy if you know Jesus is your Savior? Is there movement? Are you becoming more like Jesus Christ? How? How is that happening? Are you divided? Are you at odds with a brother or a sister in Christ today? You disagree, and that disagreement doesn't keeping you away. You don't want to have anything to do with them. That was the problem at the church in Corinth. and Paul says... I'm going to preach the gospel because it is the message of the cross, the gospel of Jesus Christ that makes us one. Let me pray as we close. Father, help us to be one. For those of us who know Jesus Christ, who are part of the body here that we call heritage, oh God, help us to be one. And help us to focus on proclaiming, on preaching the gospel. The message of the cross of Jesus Christ. Oh God, don't let us get distracted by disagreements. By differences of opinion. By by making judgments about this, that or the other thing that only create conflict and heated argument. Oh, God, help us to remember that you've put us here to model the oneness of our God, to show that oneness as members of the body so that those all around us, the world, will believe that God so loved this world that he gave his only son That whoever believes in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. Thank you, Father. Help us to grow. Help us to change. Help us to move forward as one for the glory of God. For it's in his name I pray. Amen.